So this is uh, week three of Saturday Snapshots. We've had a good time. Those of us that have been here, some of you haven't been here, so I'm going to do a brief catch-up. Anyone that hasn't been here that you've caught up on the podcast, you've listened to the podcast? No? Okay. Okay, a couple? Yep, cool. So week one we talked about, let's test, does anyone know? Week one we talked about, yeah, finding common ground. common ground, that's it. The connection through common ground, that's it. So we talked about common ground and how easy that is. And some basic tips on how to find that. Then week two, we talked about, does anyone remember? Your, what? Yeah, yes, but how you tell your, your story. Yep, yep. What happens in your life, your restoration, the things that's taking place in your life, your story in 60 seconds. In church, we typically call that testimony. It's your testimony, but it's your story in 60 seconds. Um, and so we had three people scheduled, uh, and, and they have done the horrible act, I guess, of skipping today. No, they actually probably just forgot, which it's okay. I doubt that. Or they were terrified. I don't know. One or the other. But we're talking about your story in 60 seconds and how easy it is to engage once you've found common ground. The average person doesn't have a long time to give you. Okay? They don't have a long time to give you for you to tell them your story. Um, and sometimes we, we miss what our story is. Story can be something good, the grace of God that's been in your life, a blessing that happened to you financially, a blessing that happened in health, something like that that happened. So today, we're going to practice on each other, okay? Some of you are like, uh, yeah, okay? So stand, get comfortable, stand, get comfortable, Okay? Right where, you're, right where you're at, this is going to be super easy, okay? Right where you're at, look close to you, okay? Somebody's going to find someone next to you, and we're going to tell our story in 60 seconds. Now, I'm going to give you a second. Listen, the first two, three, four times you do that, don't worry. It's going to be like, I, I don't know. Uh, if you haven't done this yet, I did encourage you to look in the mirror and try to practice it, but... I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I'll try to do one that I've never done. Oh. Um, um, hey, my name's Josh. Uh, man, I haven't seen you around here, so whatever. I'm starting the conversation. We found common ground, da-da-da. So I got four kids, an amazing wife. Um, not long ago, went through like this crazy weird sickness, and a bunch of people close to me were praying. I know it might sound crazy, but... Man, the touch of God hit my life. I believe it was a miracle from heaven, and somehow I've been able to make it through. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I owe God everything. For Okay, so I've never used that with just a stranger, but that's an easy thing, and I could run down that road. Okay, so it's something that's happened to you either physically, mentally, emotionally. My go-to, my go-to story is a story that's to, tied to my father. Um, and something that happened with him, but it's a go-to story. Anything that is personal to you, financial, physical, emotional, 90% of the people you encounter can relate with. And they see that they feel that it's your sense of transparency to open up with them. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So find somebody. Find somebody. Come on, get comfortable. I feel like we need circus music or something to lighten the mood. Find somebody, even if it's a spouse, you can start with your spouse if you want to or need to. Tell your story.
Need more time? That's great. Uh, I think there's a bunch of people that would say no. He said we need more time. Okay, I got a, I, I got a question. This is so funny to watch the dynamics of people in the room. Because some of you, this is like torture. Like absolute torture. And for others of you, you, yeah, you're thinking, I need a lot more time. This is it. Okay, so let's be honest. Two of you are the more time people. You're like, I need more time. Okay, a bunch of people in the room. How many of you would be honest, you're the torture people? This is torture. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's about half and half, which is funny. Yeah. So it's, it's this introvert, extrovert. Okay, right? It's this introvert, extrovert. How many of you were more comfortable talking than listening? Be honest, you were more comfortable conversing. You were the talker. How many of you were more, it's okay, it's not a bad thing. Some of you are like, should I admit that? Is there a counseling <laughs> session after this? <laughs> like, if you'll come to, the, come to the office, lay down on the couch, we'll talk. No. Okay, so how many of you know you're better at the listening side? You enjoy that? Oh, awesome, awesome. And some of you don't enjoy any of it, I can tell, because there was like maybe 20% of the hands that didn't go up either way. How many of you feel this like a fueling exercise? Like even though, even if you didn't like it, it felt good to you to do it, like you did it. Like this is your win for the week. Like you might not, I may sleep for the next five days, right? That was mentally exhausting. Okay, so some of you are exhausted by people. Some of you are energized by people. We have introverts and we have extroverts. They are both right. Okay? They're both right. If we're not careful, we have a particular, uh, I don't know, I would call it a challenge that we face. We relegate people into areas based on whether they introvert, extrovert, personality type. And we try to make one good, one bad. You know, you can do this, you can do that. That's not really my nature. Some are, so, let's do a for instance in a church service. So in a typical Pentecostal church service, let's talk about the extrovert style of worship. What would that be? Give me some examples. Running, Running the aisles. Now to somebody that maybe listens to the podcast after the fact or hasn't been in a Pentecostal service, when I say running the aisles, they're like, what are you talking about? Literally... <laughs> We have people that in their worship, their demonstrative or exuberant worship, they will take off running. Now, what is the spiritual significance in that? Does anyone know? It's freedom. It's liberty. That's right. They're worshiping God. Okay, so that's a, what else? So that's kind of an extrovert personality. Every now and then an introvert will just like blow the gates off, and sometimes God challenges introverts specifically. I've had three or four that are a little more introverted in the last two weeks that have told me the exact same thing. I feel like God keeps challenging me to, like, take off running. They don't know. This is the first time I've talked about it. I think it's four. I know three off the top of my head, and I think there was a fourth said the same thing, and I'm thinking, God's going to get it out of one of you guys. <laughs> so, um, and I have a tendency to say, well, why don't you walk? Start off walking. If you don't want to run, maybe just start off on a walk, maybe a real slow walk, you know. <laughs> but something just to kind of respond to it and show it. Um, what else? So the running, anything else? Dancing. dancing, yeah, right, I mean dancing. Have you ever saw someone just absolutely lose it dancing? And those two really don't go together, but lose it dancing. But they do. You've been in that one where like sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. When I was a kid, I remember we had this one precious guy. He was a cop. 
He was a, it was a man's man. I mean, it was, drove a big truck. But every now and then in church, he'd have this special like thing hit him. Brother Turner, it was like he had just grabbed 220. And, and I mean, he would lose it, like dancing and shouting in the church. But something explosive happened to the church. When he would do it, it was like a wildfire spread and everybody took off. He didn't do it every service. He didn't do it every song service. But he, every now and then it would happen and, and it would be explosive. Okay, so running, dancing, just these joyful things. What else? Anybody else know? Anybody else have anything? Yeah, okay. Feeling comfortable to go pray with other people. Okay? COVID has kind of hurt that a little bit. But some are way more comfortable to go up and lay hands or to pray with and for other people. You know, for some people, it is a horrible thing, the thought of crying in church. Showing emotion and expression. I have this vivid memory. I was only seven years old, so I, have, I don't know how, but I have vivid memories of very, very young. I was in my grandmother and grandfather's house. Um, I only had the first two or three years of my life there. I could walk you through the whole place in my mind. Um, my mom still, they're shocked by that. So I have these vivid memories somehow from when I was young. But when I was seven, I'll never forget, I lived in Cleburne, Texas at this time. And the pastor was praying for this big old dude. I don't know how big he actually was because I was seven and I was like this tall, you know. Uh, and, but I remember he seemed like a bear of a guy. And he started weeping. And I'll never forget my pastor, Brother Ashley, saying in the microphone, it takes a big man to cry. I was only seven, but that stuck with me so much that it's okay. It's okay in church for, for men and women to cry. And sometimes, sometimes they are tears of sorrow because we're thinking about a loved one or we're thinking about somebody that's... Or, or sometimes they are tears of joy because we're simply reflecting on the goodness of God. Now, if we are not careful, even within the church, we can judge people based on their demonstrative worship or the lack thereof. Okay? We're not supposed to do that. Everybody say, Amen. amen. All right, we got like 100% amens here. That's, that's great. You shouldn't judge me, and I shouldn't judge you. Now, should we challenge each other? For biblical worship and praise. Yes, I think we should. Here's the difference. Praise can be instantaneous in the moment. Worship is lifestyle driven. Okay? So we can praise each other. That's kind of common ground. Praise can be in common ground. I like the shirt you're wearing today. It's nice. I, I, anyway, maybe I could have something. They make that in my size. You know, I, I, I say that with kids all the time. I'll, a young guy will be walking by and he'll have a cool little suit on. I'm like, you think they make that in my size? That's a pretty cool suit. Probably couldn't fit into yours. I'll give it a try if you'll let me. And I'm trying to praise. I'm having this little bit of a connection. Surface praise with God is very easy. If we're, surface praise is, you're awesome. You're great. We're clapping. We're in, worship is different. Worship follows you out. Okay? Worship is lifestyle. Does that make sense to you? Worship is lifestyle. Worship happens when things die. Worship happens when a living sacrifice is drug up onto the altar and your will is taken care of. So, common ground. Your story in 60 seconds. And then I come to number three, which is a little heavier here today, okay? 
If you never tell your story, you're a praiser, not a worshiper. If you don't share your story outside of here, you're a, you're a church person, but you're not a witness. Okay? When you share your story with someone out there, you're saying, I'm not just an instantaneous praiser, I'm not just an at-church praiser, but I'm a worshiper. This is my lifestyle. And you don't have to be, whether introverted or extroverted, for some of you, talking to one person a week is like that extrovert that talks to 30 people that week. Because that one person, you're like ready to break out in hives. You're talking yourself into it the whole way up to them like, you are going to do this. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not schizophrenic. You are. You know, you're, t- you're, you're, talk- you're talking. Your- How many talk to yourself? Be honest. You lie, you fry. Come on. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Recently, I was talking to myself. Me and myself had a great conversation. We had to. I had to talk to myself, Brandon. I had to convince myself that I could do. And and listen, nobody can convince you like you. Talk to yourself. Be honest. Now listen, here's why I did this today. I found out in the last so many years of preaching that often in service we'll say, turn to your, ta- your neighbor and say, turn to your neighbor and smile at them and say, and some people get so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. I'm doing it intentionally because it's supposed to break down barriers. I always feel like if we can break down human barriers between each other, it makes it easier for the Spirit of God to pour into us. Because we build these facades up, we have these nerves, we have these walls, and they're built up, and so we're kind of in this place. I'm trying to tell you that you will be a greater soul winner if you are not just a praiser here, but you are a worshiper in lifestyle. Being a worshiper is way more than what you wear. It really is. It is way more than just punching your spiritual time clock and starting your day with devotion, and you need to do that. You need First thing in the morning, you need to start with prayer. You need to start with devotion. You need to start your day. And I would challenge you to end your day with prayer and devotion. I think it is good for us. But as you walk through, how you interact with other people really determines and shows whether or not we are praisers or worshipers. And I would challenge us that we need to be both. How many want Calvary to be a church that is full of demonstrative praise? Don't we love it, the liberty that we're feeling as of late? You understand that while we're feeling this this liberty as of late, not everyone is comfortable with that. But the more that there is, the easier it is for the introverts to hide. Right? They slip their hands up. The more people that are worshiping, the less introverts feel like they stick out. Do you know that if everybody is worshiping, if everybody is praising then the way that the introvert stands out is to not be. So it naturally becomes easier to be like, yep, let's just get in this right here. Let's just... It's just kind of the way it works. And if we have to find comfort one way or the other, let's do it through being demonstrative in our praise and our worship. Let me ask you a question. Does clapping your hands make you love God more? Some of you are like, it's a trick question. <laughs> What's the real answer? No, it doesn't. You don't start clapping your hands and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're awesome. 
Like it doesn't, clapping your hands doesn't send this special shockwave to your heart that makes you think. But physical activity, worshiping to Him demonstratively, it is a way that you use your, you use your limbs, you use your body. The Bible says as the trees clap their branches, everything in nature is in an orchestra of praise to God. It really is. Even down to death, we're about to walk into the fall. And as we walk, I love the fall. It's beautiful. How many of you, the fall is your favorite time of the year? Isn't that funny? It's, it, and why? It's beautiful, right? We love it because it's beautiful. You know what we're attracted to? Dead. <laughs> it's the truth. that We love fall. We're like, oh, it's beautiful. You're like, it's, it's dying. That's why we're attracted to it. And why do we call it fall? What happens? <laughs> yeah, the leaves, the autumn. No one says autumn, okay? It's fall. Everything's dying. We're like, oh, let's go drive down through Kentucky or down through it. Let's just look at all the death. It's beautiful. And, but that's what it is. That's what we're looking at. And I will tell you this, whether introverted, extroverted, when you are taking on a life of worship, you're kind of taking on a life of death. You are preemptively... What are you killing? I'm going to tell you what you're killing. You're killing your ego. You're killing your will. You're killing your desire. Okay? Now, is this to come in here and dance or worship so that everybody can see you? Like you dance with one eye open? Like, who's looking? No. I'll be more apt to ask someone to stop that. It's not what we're trying to do. But for the introvert that will step out of a pew and just walk and begin to worship their... You know, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's like the leaves turning. It's like this beautiful thing that I think the attention of heaven, I think the attention of heaven stops and looks because God inhabits what? The praises of His people. The praises of His people. That, that scripture, if you, if you break down the translation there, what it means is that inhabits, it means it can be translated, God sets a throne in the middle of praise. So it's like He becomes the king and sets in the middle of it. You have to try to picture that when we're in the middle of worship service tomorrow and, and people are worshiping and clapping and singing. Imagine God just kind of pulls a big throne up. It's so much less intimidating uh, of hell and the attacks and the enemy when you consider when I praise God. But let me tell you, praise done without a, la a life of sacrifice is way less powerful than praise that comes from a life of sacrifice. A life of worship that comes in and begins to praise, those are the people that the whole, church, the whole service changes. It's like that one sister that from across the room, woo! we had this lady in our church growing up, she said hallelujah in a way that I cannot explain. I'll probably preach this at some point, but every now and then, uh, she was my aunt, uh, Aunt Elmita, that was her name. Somebody from that generation remembers that, that name, Elmita. Uh, Aunt Elmita and, and Sister Lopez, she would, I, didn't, I was never expecting it. I never knew when it was coming. You'd start to feel a little something in the room. But from that left side of the church all the way over there, all of a sudden you'd hear, Hallelujah. Like that, and without fail, Sister Hauk, here it came. It was amazing. It was amazing. You know why? This lifestyle of worship came into this time of praise, okay? 
And here's what I'm telling you. I'm bringing all that for this reason. If you live a lifestyle of worship, that little bit of praise trying to share your story, God can take that little bitty thing you give trying to share with somebody and make it so powerful. So powerful. And you don't even know why and you don't even know how. I've preached so many different funerals over the years. I was preaching a funeral a handful of years back and and people that came through the line, I did not know them. But during the funeral, I was praising God. This was probably five, maybe seven years ago. I had preached the funeral and I was talking and as people would come through, especially if I could tell they were unchurched, I'd try to have a brief moment with them. Later that day, somebody had a bunch of people that were not connected to the church. They were not even believers. Um, The lady called me later and said, that guy from work that came, he said when he shook your hand, he said he felt something he has never felt before and asked me what that is. She said I had to explain to him that's the power of the Holy Ghost, what you're feeling. And she said it opened up that opportunity. Why? I think that when you live a life of worship, and then you get the chance to praise God in front of somebody, it can become this powerful thing. We are not inviting people to the block party so we can check off a list. We are not inviting people to church so we can check off a list. Ladies and gentlemen, the only reason we share our story is because we want to go from sharing our story here to worshiping Him together there. That's it. It's all tied to heaven. And so if your story is tied to eternity... If your story is tied to eternity, wait a minute, you said I could talk about the time that the check came in the mail or the time that the, 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 the body was healed. or the, Yeah, but your story is not tied to getting you glory. Right? You're not hoping at the end of your 60 seconds that they're like, wow, you are powerful. You're awesome. I had no idea you could walk on water. No! At the end of your 60 seconds, what you're hoping is they walk away from you with a little better opinion of God. That is absolutely countercultural to everything our world teaches because everything our world teaches is to make ourselves look better. When they walk away from a conversation with you, your life of worship just became 60 seconds of praise to Him. It's a pretty powerful thing. Questions? Any questions? Yeah, Brother Ryan. I believe that. I believe that. Our worship tears down what hinders them. And I, I always use the illustration of a wildfire. It has the ability to, what starts here has the ability to leap onto someone else. I will tell you when it's hard for it to tear down what's hindering them. When they feel that you are in another class. Okay? When they feel, that's why I believe that our altar call, how many times have I said it now? Who can repeat this? The altar call starts, we're not there yet. Thank you. Somebody said it in the parking lot. When I'm praying through, the, every time when I'm walking through the parking lot, I'm looking at the far corners. I'm wondering how long we can go until I got to start having shuttles here at the far corners so we can shuttle people to the doors. I don't want, I, I, it's got to start out there. It's got to start out there. When they show up, when my family shows up, a family like mine, that they've jumped through all these hurdles and they come, I want people to know them. They cannot still somehow get into our pews and feel like the people around them are in a different class. 
There's no big I's or little U's. I never, again, I'm going to repeat this. I never introduce myself to a visitor as brother anybody. Now, in this role, I might say, hey, I'm Pastor Carson. I do have a tendency to do that, but 99, I think, percent of the time, did it even today. Hi, I'm Josh Carson. That's my name. That's how I introduce myself. I'm not trying to divide us by status off the start. Now, do I believe in brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I believe in it not only for respect, but I believe in it for the part of the body. But I'm going to tell you right now, when, I'm, when I encounter prodigals, I always, when I encounter prodigals, I call them brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Because one of the greatest, not we don't even think about it, but one of the greatest ways that we divide prodigals is we call them by their first name now and we don't call them brother or sister anymore. And it plays into the psychological barrier as to why they never come back to church because they don't feel like they can be received back anyway. Does that make sense? Great, great point though. So if you can have relational value, Brother Ryan, with them, you can have a little bit of a connection and then they can see you worshiping God. It has the tendency. But there again, it goes back to when everyone's worshiping, it makes it easy for everyone. I've had so many fun conversations over the years where people are just crying in the presence of God and they don't know why. You ever see, don't even know why. And it's a good cry. Crying in church has a tendency to feel really good. I don't know, I just like it. <laughs> yeah. Just pouring that emotion out before God. Okay. What else? Any other questions or comments? I have a question. Yep. When you said about the prodigals. Yeah. Sisters, yeah. Have you ever found that that could be, I guess in my mind, I think it could be offensive just that they think that you're trying to be a church. I've never offended anyone at saying that. Yeah, I don't think they, I, I've never offended anybody, at least that I know of. And if I do offend them, I'd rather offend them through love than them think I've, I'd rather offend them and them thinking he's reaching for me than offend them thinking I don't care anymore. And so, um, I've never heard that. <clears throat> yep, yeah, it's not taught. It's not taught. I've won, um, we have won back more prodigals personally by inviting them not to church, but inviting them. One guy I'm thinking of, we invited him to go sledding. One guy, we invited him to go play a round of golf. One guy, we, and when we talked to him, it's just like, man, Brother Fullen, how are you? Haven't seen you in a while. Brother Eric, man, I'm glad you're back. Good to, good to get to hang out. I know we haven't been at, It's just like there's no time lost. Because the amazing thing with God, when you imagine it, God treats people like there's no time lost. Prodigal, prodigal son, what happens when he shows up? Dad's like, kill that calf. Bring that robe. He's coming, back to be a, he's coming back to be a hired servant, hoping he can even get there. And the father's like, no, you're my son. So, yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. I do, think that, um, I do think that that can be a mental concern. Like, well, I don't want him to feel like I'm... I think that's something more that we've built than a reality. Now, you will encounter people that are obstinate, but it doesn't matter what you do. If people are obstinate, it doesn't matter what you do. You love people to their allowance. My job as pastor, I pastor by permission. If someone only gives me 30%, I try to pastor the full 30%. Some people give me 100%. I can speak with full liberty and pastor with 100%. But if you only give me 30%, don't get mad if 70% of your walk is messed up. 
right? It's the way it works, okay? So it's the same thing with people. It's a matter of where they are mentally and emotionally and things like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's practical teaching in the sense of the way that we speak, the way that we engage, the way that we encounter. Any other questions? These are dynamic. Yeah. So she said brothers or sisters or family members or whoever it is that have walked away from God. And so the desire is like, I don't want to validate that. I don't want to validate that. And I'm afraid if I say brother or sister, then I'm validating that. But the terminology of brother and sister, and I know this is long-term teaching, but we've got to think through this. The terminology of long-term teaching can get us to where we believe. We believe that acceptance comes through simply something like that. You're not compromising how you live. You're not compromising who you are. You're not alienating them. And it gets into a sticky situation of, do we sit down to a meal with them? Are we willing to... Are we willing to engage them? Are we willing? What is our level of engagement? Because Christ separated from the disciples in John chapter 4 and went and sat down next to a lady who had been married six times and had an intimate relational conversation with her and was not intimidated by that and was not scared of the relational value between that. But I think we can get into a place where we feel overwhelmed. Like if I call them brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, it validates. With family, it is a little bit of a different dynamic because I never call my mom Sister Carson. I never call my cousins brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. I call them by first name. If it is a friend, I do. I call them brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, depending on how close that relationship is. If it's family, I don't use brother-sister anyway. But, but that's where we have to come down to. If we're not careful, we do get caught up in this. I don't want to say it's semantics, but we do get caught up in, I'll break bread with them, but, I, but I'm scared to say brother this, so, sister this. And I really have to come back to the biblical model of how Christ did it. The ultimate goal is that everyone is a disciple of Christ. Her question is what a lot of people have faced and dealt with. It's true. And I would say it has to come to your own level of comfort. If you know that person and you think, man, for them this is a license. They accept me as who I am. But I will tell you most of the time, they're not going to turn back to Christ because they don't think you accept it anyway. If anyone try, if anyone, this is a tough statement, if anyone lives for God for you, they're not living for God anyway. They're not living for God for you. Or I mean, they're not living for God if they're living for God for you. That's where if we're not careful, we confuse coming to church with living for God. Praise, worship. Praise, worship. So I have found that when I reach for a prodigal, if I'm willing to say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, I have a great example of what you just said I didn't think of till you said it. I had a conversation with somebody a year ago, brother so-and-so. It got back to me a few months later. He had totally stretched the truth and tried to take my interaction with him as a validation. That's what he had, that's what he had done. I'm not responsible for that. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible for loving people. Period. 
Upon these two things hangs the entire law. Love God first. Love your neighbor. He did not give disclaimers to who the neighbor is. Yeah, well, they, they were a blasphemer. We messed that word up. And we don't have time, and I know some of you are like, snapshot, this is turning into a... We messed that word up, blasphemer. Well, I don't know if they blasphemed, and the light and darkness, and, and I don't want to... If they're a genuine blasphemer, you're not having a conversation with them anyway. It's the truth. It is the truth. Okay? Most of the time, people deserve more grace than we give them. A bulk, not all, but a bulk of prodigals became prodigals from hurts they endured that no one ever found out about. And their perception of the church changed their perception of God. Because everything they knew about God was because of the church. Most of my, most of my sessions right now with people that want to leave, not live for God, it is never about leaving God. It is always about leaving the church. I'm in weekly sessions where I deal with people that they don't want to live for God, but when we get down to it, it's they don't like people in the church. I am not responsible for making, I can't make you live for God. You can't make me live for God. That doesn't even work. Based on a God who infinite in His wisdom decided to give us free will, I don't, don't you, wouldn't that have been easier if he just took the free will thing out? Like when you were starting to do, remember you were a kid and mom had fresh cookies there on the counter and you went for one and out of nowhere that hand came all the way from the living room, right? Like how long is her arm? Like I'm a, smack you on the hand, you're going to ruin your dinner. I'm thinking mom, I'm not. I'm just getting my dinner started. Don't you wish when you started into sin or you started to say something wrong or you started to do something wrong? But it doesn't. You can go right on ahead and say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. The average person, and when we talk about prodigals that walked away, a lot of times what we're dealing with, we're dealing with people whose lifestyle disciplines have changed. Is that pretty accurate? We're dealing with people whose lifestyle disciplines have changed. So they are at a different level a visible consecration. Do I believe that lifestyle disciplines are critical? 100%. Absolutely. But part of my lifestyle discipline is the way that I talk to everyone. It is. And it is so hard for me at times. The thing I have to pray about it, I have to make sure that any judgmental attitude because there are some people I look at and I'm like, you know better. You kn-. Anybody ever been really frustrated by that? You, you see someone and you're like, you know better. People are watching you. You're. And the truth is, God, I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know why they're so hurt. I don't know how that happened. Help me, oh God, to love them in spite of it. I'm not going to validate what they're doing. But I still, I still believe they're your child. I still believe you died for them all the same. It's a really tough thing to baptize. It's a really tough thing to deal with. I've got friends right now, and to her point, I have friends right now that were 
major influences in my life that no longer live for God. Don't even live for God, much less preach. But when we talk, I have a tendency to say, hey, brother, hey, sis. And when I do, I can always feel that little tinge that catches them like. Because I'd rather think they can find their way back. I never want them to feel like they're so far from me, so far from us. Because calling them brother and calling them sister to me, it does not change who I am. It's like when they came to Christ and they were upset and they were frustrated. Christ said, those who are not against us, they're not against us, they're for us. If they're not, if they're, and this is a time during persecution, don't, don't, don't waste too much of your time being too concerned with them. You just be you, you just know what you're supposed to do, and you just live your life, and you just be confident in who you are. And so part of what I do, as a rule, is brother and sister. This is how I live it. Is there a time that it might validate it? Yeah, but if it doesn't, something else will. They've already found validation. That's why they're living that way. <laughs> but I can also tell you this. You'll never hear, but there's been a lot of midnights where they laid in bed and they wondered if they've made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen one prodigal restored to the church that did not tell me I laid awake night after night after night wondering if I'd really messed up. Lord, we love you. You're so good to us. You're so good to us. I pray you'd help us to love other people. Lead them close to you. Love them in spite of their failures. Love them in spite of our failures. Because your grace is good. Your mercy is everlasting. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'd bless us today. Bless uh, IBC. Bless our block party. All those that we're going to encounter. The children from this neighborhood. The families that we're going to meet. I pray that you would just let your work be done. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Everybody said amen.